couple minutes, I'm going to have uh, Mr. and Mrs. May come and share a little bit about how adoption, physical adoption has affected uh, them uh, here. But let me give you a little bit of an introduction into this great gospel truth. And I'm going to have uh, Clint and Bonnie at the end and Matthew. I'm going to kind of smack you in the middle. That's all right. I'm reading um, the biography of Alexander Hamilton, and it's quite a long one. It's taken me a while. Um, I'm about halfway through, and some of you know he was an orphan, came to the U.S. and seemed to always bear that, uh, was unaccepted by some of the other people who used that against him, uh, and seemed to have that chip on his shoulder here, uh, that, that, that want of a relationship with a father that he never Friends, uh, whatever your family background, whatever your situation, whether you had a great father growing up or you had a poor father growing up or an absent father growing up, adoption in the family of God gives you the father that exceeds anything you can even imagine. In fact, I know that's true because the Bible says that the fullness of our adoption won't fully be appreciated until we're in heaven. In Romans 8. But when the child of a stranger is received into an enduring bond of a family, so as to convey to that child all the rights and benefits that belong to the natural children and heirs, that is called adoption. And Christianity, properly understood, holds up adoption as the act of God by which we as strangers are received into God's family, conveying to us all the privileges of sonship and daughterhood. That was written by a preacher in around 500 A.D. here who began to understand the richness of adoption. There's, let me give a couple introductory remarks to this doctrine here um, because there are beautiful truths about the gospel, doctrines of the gospel here that help us understand the blessings of it. One of those that we're probably most familiar with is justification. Justification, by justification, one is pardoned from their offenses against the Father. They're declared righteous. And then there's another one called regeneration. Sometimes we use the John 3 words of being born again, right? Regeneration is when you're given life by the Spirit. By the way, all these things happen simultaneously. And then there's adoption. Adoption, you are permitted to enter the Father's family. But they're different. They're different. And justification removes the obstacles between God and the sinner. Romans 3 says. Regeneration gives new life. It breaks the dominion of sin. Reorders the direction of your heart here toward the love of God. All these things come through faith and what God's provided. But on an adoption, God gives grace that makes the new creature a son or daughter. A son or daughter. A member of God's family, ready to receive the promised inheritance. You probably could reword the, uh, the category adoption call it sonship. Sonship. Being a son of God. There is a, the old Westminster Confession, carefully crafted, um, described Adoption is this. Those who enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God have his name put upon them 
receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, are chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. In adoption, John 1, you'll turn there with me. John 1 says this. In verse 11, John 1 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even in them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In adoption of the gospel, you're born not because of a natural descent, not because you had this as your grandparents, or this person as your father or mother, or this person as your this group of people as your ethnicity. You're not born in natural descent from blood. Not because of your lineage. You're not born from the will of the flesh. The idea there is the husband's will here. Um, when you were born, it's because your parents engaged in the act of marriage. And you were conceived. This is not how this happened. You're not born to human decision. As far as this is your decision didn't make you. I, I didn't say, I'm going to be a child of God today. And my will made that happen. Rather, you are reborn of God. Reborn of God. Augustine said, we're not sons by creation, but by the new creation. We become sons not by the natural birth, but by the spiritual birth. Not by generation, but by regeneration. Not by being born, but by being born again. Born from above. Born of the Spirit. Born of God. This is the adoption. And so I'm going to have the Manx come and have them share this morning uh, for a few minutes here um, their story of how adoption, physical adoption, touched their life as an illustration of the gospel.
probably shouldn't do this. Why do you want to do this? You have eight kids, you're free, you don't want kids, you don't want to have to get up in the morning, uh, you won't be able to adopt because uh, you're in a mobile home, uh, or there's all kinds of things. So it's better not to listen sometimes to information that you can get. So I opened up the, the book and uh, really didn't know what I was looking for. I really prayed about this. I said, you know, this is just love, just got to open this up. So there was this child and family service. Rather than newborns, they were usually their children was like five months, six months old, because they worked with that mother to make sure this is what she wanted to do. In other words, some decided, well, I think I can work through this and keep the child. Some tried it, it didn't work. Some of them right away knew that this is what they wanted to do. And they had that that length of time to decide. So we didn't put in we didn't put in for either boy or girl. We just thought whatever would happen would be fine. So we had we had individual meetings. Probably sold the tapes after about <laughs> <laughs> main accent because here we're in Virginia, you know, and uh, and they asked me how my mother felt about it, how Mervyn's mother felt about it, and my parents were fine. Mervyn's mother, she said, as long as they're good looking and they're musical. Because <laughs> <laughs> my my family is just uh, all, all good looking and musical. <laughs> so that one was first, and I told them that I told them right up front, so you know, we have to go get here, and uh, so we had we had individuals. When it came to, he specified that we were Christians and he said, we're curious about that. And it just left it open so great because we could give the gospel so clearly because they said, now what about your faith? You say you're Christians, you know, what about your home? What are you going to do with this child about his, about their faith? And I said, well, um, they'll grow up in a Christian home. They'll be taught the Bible. That's what was from his school and, uh, and by our example. But I said, it will be their choice. When you're a Christian, I went through the whole thing, how it all happens, what you have to do, and it was just, that was just worked out really good that way. We really felt good about that. So we were all uh, went through the whole process, and, and we qualified to become adopted parents. They came to the home, and uh, they looked at everything up and all that kind of thing. They said, now, uh, your, your thing is like if you're going to have the child you think ready, because um, a baby is coming. Waited and one day the telephone rang, and we had a telephone then. And, uh, so, if anybody doesn't know what a telephone is, that breaks. But, and, uh, and said, uh, Mrs. Mag, uh, you have a baby boy. He's five months old, and uh, he has blonde hair and blue eyes. And, uh, so, she said, So, tomorrow he's coming in, baby. I didn't have, I didn't have uh, pains like a woman in labor, but I had anxiety. And uh, so we went and went into the agency, and um, this baby was crying. And I thought, oh, instant motherhood. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand this or not. So went into the room, and she gave us a baby. And uh, she said, he's been in a foster home. He was just 
very upset. He wasn't crying then. He was just sobbing. He just because he was looking around. He knew he was in this uh, bright home of Israel. So she said, "I'm going to leave you with him." And she said, "You know, you don't have to take this child. You just bring him over and see what you think about it. And I'll be back in half an hour." So I just rocked him and he went to sleep. And in a half an hour, she came back. She said, "God, what do you think?" I said, "We think you're okay." <laughs> So then we changed his name to Matthew. His, his, uh, his name was David, which Matthew later had a son. His name was David. That's how he got that. And, um, so Matthew went to Christian school and went to Pensacola and got a degree in business and uh, got a wonderful son. And he's really great. He's really easy to bring up. He's really a, a good choice. So God had a great gift. Now she gave me permission to mention the girl. I won't read long, I don't think. I want to mention the fact is we were adopted into God's family in 1961. Mm -hmm. And changed our life completely. Anyway, we, it's a time I got aboard ship. I was aboard the aircraft carrier Enterprise when we adopted Matthew. And I went from there to recruiting duty in Trenton, New Jersey. And in 19, we got here in 1964. In 1967, uh, we got a hold of another agency, the same uh, private agency there in Trenton, New Jersey. And uh, this agency had two sets of twins when they we decided we didn't want uh, two. So anyway, we uh, we had to meet again, but where we had been through the process before, it didn't take very long. Uh, short time. We told them we'd like to have a go. And so it wasn't too long before they uh, called us and said, come in and uh, got a girl for you. Matthew was five months old when we got him. Uh, Alyssa was six months old. Real different to ours. Matthew weighed about 15, 16 pounds when we adopted him. At uh, five months old. Alyssa only weighed 13 pounds. At six months old. Mm -hmm. small. Uh, it turned out both of them to have left handed, be left handed. <laughs> turned out it was musical. Both played piano. And uh, my mother accepted them well. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, after a period of time, uh, we adopted them. And uh, they come into our family. Both of their names were strange. Matthew was David, when we got him. Uh, Melissa, she was Alice. And as most of you know, we lost our daughter with cancer uh, back six years ago. It 48, I think. And, uh, so 
Praise God, both of them was adopted once again in the God's family. Praise God for that. Which leads us to the next question here. Why do we need to be adopted? Well, because we're sinners, we lost the right to be viewed as God's children. Like Luke 15 gives such a good example of this, right? The prodigal, he ran away to a far country, and he burned his inheritance, right? Our inheritance has been forfeited. Um, we could look at it and describe the image of God, right? The image of God. It's been defaced, it's been marred by our sin. We are now self-defined aliens, we are rebels, we don't have without title, we have lost all rights in daughterhood and sonship. What did the Father do in Luke 15? Continued to seek the lost, right? He awaited the return, ready to forgive. And then that prodigal, the scripture says, he came to his senses, he came to himself, right? He came to his senses, he turns back home. And there's he does not know the way to proceed for reconciliation. And when he comes home to the Father, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a hired hand. And is he ever left in doubt in that parable about the love of the Father? The Father is like he doesn't even listen to the Son. He just says, all right, get the fat cap, here's a ring for your finger, here's a robe, rejoice, my Son has come home. Right? So there's a need for adoption because we've spent our inheritance, we've rebelled where we lost the rights, but John tells us, John tells us in John 8, 35, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he's, he describes the slavery that we have to sin and it blocks us from the family of God. And he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin and a, a slave, it doesn't, the slave doesn't have a permanent place there in the family. And Jesus' uh, opponents didn't like that. We're Abraham's children, they said. And Jesus said, if, you're, if God was your father, you would love me for I came from God. Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. And that's what we're born into, right? Humanly, naturally. We're born into that slavery, bondage to sin. But to be born into the, uh, to be a child of God, it is, 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 means that we've been given uh, 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 God's grace to reflect his holiness and goodness. We're created in the image of God. We're able to reflect the goodness of God. And so Jesus, John says, came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him by faith, what Jesus has done, those who believed in his name, he gave the, the power, the authority, the right to become the children of God. And now they have a legitimate title, children of God, sons of God. Whatever rights as human beings they had, they had forfeited have been restored in Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters of God were born in him. Membership in God's family. New Testament talks about this all over the place. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, alluding to the already received blessings of adoption and then the fullness of what that will look like in the future, uh, in the new creation. He says this, 
Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again this year, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. For God's children. That means that we are related to one another as family members. Adoption in the God's family makes us partakers together in one family. In one family. In Galatians chapter 4, there's an evidence that we see that we're God's children, where Paul writes to the Galatians, and he says in Galatians 4 verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God set forth his Son, made of a woman made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the doctrine of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul says the clear evidence that we're God's children, that we're adopted as family and sonship, is that the Holy Spirit bears witness that we're God's children. You might say, well, I'm a woman. Why am I called the son of God? Sonship. Wouldn't it be better to say we're become sons and daughters of God? Yes, in a certain sense here. But I want to remind you of the culture that Paul's writing from. This is, a, this is the Eastern culture here. If you know a little bit about Eastern cultures here, sons are very honored in a family. Sons are very honored in a family. Um, even in China today, in a lot of places in Asia, that's a, that's a, it's a significant thing if you have a son born in your family. Um, and maybe you might understand it like this. Paul and his culture, he's living in a place where daughters were kind of looked on as second-class citizens in a certain respect. And so when Paul is saying that we are all sons in Christ, he's saying there are no second-class citizens in Jesus. When you give your life to Christ, you become a Christian by what Christ purchased at the cross through his blood. You receive all the benefits of a son. There's a sweetness here of this law, the sonship. This is, this, is, this is a revolutionary promise that Paul's saying, in Jesus, everybody has this. God sees you as sons. He adopts us as sons. We're loved like Christ is loved. We're honored like he is honored. Every one of us, no matter what. Your circumstances can't hinder that. They can't threaten that promise. Your bad circumstances will only help you understand the beauty of what adoption is. The more you grow into this, the more you're going to realize that Jesus has promised you a life that goes on forever as a son of God. Jesus himself calls us his brothers in Hebrews 2. In one sense, he's like our oldest brother. He's called the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 29 says. Adoption comes as an outcome of our saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Galatians 3, verse 23 to 26, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Through faith. Let me close here with some of the privileges here. Adoption, I'm going to come in a second. And then Clint and Bonnie. Privileges of adoption. What are the greatest privileges of our sonship, our adoption in Jesus' family? We're able to speak to God and relate to him as a good and loving father. 
We're to pray our Father who art in heaven. And Galatians 4, 7, it enables us to realize we are no longer slaves but sons. So we don't relate to God as a slave would relate to a slave master, but as a child relates to his or her father. In fact, God gives us an, an internal witness from the Holy Spirit that causes us in our new nature to instinctively call God our Father, Romans 8 says. And when we cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8, 15 and 16 says, it's the Spirit himself bearing witness with our soul that we are the children of God. So when you pray truthfully and honestly, Father, that's a spirit relating into you that relationship that you have with God. It's the foundation of many blessings. What does it mean to be adopted, the blessings of adoption? The fact that God relates to us as Father shows very clearly that He loves us and that He understands us. As the Father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103. He takes care of our needs. The Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers, seek all these things, Jesus says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need, have need of them. He gives many good gifts. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask? He especially gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to empower us for ministry, to live the Christian life, to encourage us, to convict us. He gives us not only gifts in this life, but he gives us a great inheritance in heaven, in eternity, because we've become joint heirs with Christ. You're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir, and we're in fact heirs of God and fellow heirs with the Son, Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 17 says. We have a great eternal inheritance, which is undefiled, incorruptible, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, Peter says. In other words, all the great privileges and blessings of heaven are laid up for us and put at our disposal because we're children of the king, we're members of his family. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we start with our Father. There's a portion toward the end of it. Or we ask for forgiveness for our sins. And here's the good news of adoption. We don't ask for the forgiveness of our sins as sons of God because that makes us sons of God. We ask for forgiveness of sins because we are sons of God and it restores this relationship, our Father, our, the God's fatherly relationship with us, which has been disrupted by our sin that squeezes him and we can relate to him once again as Father who delights in his children. He loves. And so we don't relate to God simply as the eternal judge of the universe, though He is, but relate to Him as our eternal Father. God disciplines us as our children as well. He disciplines us as His children. Hebrews 12 says, Don't regard lightly the discipline of don't lose courage when you're disciplined. Because the Lord disciplines those who love us. He chastises every son he receives. He wouldn't do that if he didn't want us. Stories told of someone who knew a family who 
adopted an older child from an unspeakably horrific orphanage in another country. When they brought her home, one of the things they told her was that they expected her to clean her room every day. And when she heard about that responsibility, it's like her brain just focused and fixated on, on, on that expectation here. And, and she saw it as a way to earn her family's love. And she, she took this responsibility, she kind of isolated it, and she applied it to what her, how her, her mind thought in the orphanage here, shaped, shaped, how her mind was shaped. Every morning when her parents would come into her room, it was immaculate. And she would sit on the bed and she would say, my room is clean, can I stay? You still love me. And eventually she learned to hear her parents' words as their unconditionally beloved child who would never be forsaken, dirty room or not. Not as a visitor trying to earn her place in their family. And when she understood that she was an inseparable part of their family story, even correction and discipline and responsibilities and accountability did not cause her to question her family's love for her. It reinforced it. The discipline helped her understand this is what it means to be human. And so it is with the Lord. Because the fatherly discipline of God as children of God and joint heirs with Christ is the truth that Romans uh, tells us that we have the privilege of both sharing in his sufferings, your trials of life, that shaping, that difficulty, and in his glory, in his glory. In our relationship with one another here, you think about the blessings of adoption, it's far deeper, far more intimate than relationship with angels, for example, because we're members of one family. Over and over in the letters here, Paul writes to believers and calls them beloved, brethren, right? And so our church here, as God's family, gives us a new perspective. It's family work. Do family work together. And the effort, the, the various members of the family don't compete with each other, and they don't hinder each other, and they don't backbite, but they encourage one another, and they're thankful for the good and the progress that comes from all the members of the family, which are contributing to we imitate our Father in heaven as beloved children. I'm going to have Matthew come share how adoption on the other side is being the one who was adopted uh, has played in his life. Craig, you may want a good looking kid, at least my sister put a check in that box. <laughs> I was born to parents who didn't want me. They thought children was in the business of pets. They raised my sister. She's five years old when I am. Same thing for kids. She says there's not one happy day of her childhood. Physical abuse, emotional abuse. I was born to a man that was in the Navy. He was an officer. He retired as a captain when I was six, or a colonel for those in the army. Pastor records the Eastern culture. The boys are 
important ones. You know, just a son that you could throw into the Navy. Instead, they give one. Praise God, he did. to mention John 1.11, his own receiving love. Parents that wanted me, God loves us. They didn't care what baggage I brought. They didn't know what medical problems I might have someday. I rejected them when I found out you know, my family. I could have. I had the privilege to open up. We'll talk to you a lot. My first wife stepped outside of marriage and conceived a child. Here of uh, Mr. J. Spikes discovered something in his genealogy. He took a DNA test, and the results popped up that he was of royal descent. Funny thing was, he grew up in New Jersey. He lives in the park, he doesn't even own a car, he's a prince. He visited his long lost country <clears throat> in a small West African country of Benin. And he was welcomed home as royalty. The paper reported when he first arrived, he saw what looked like a festival, hundreds of people dancing and playing instruments and singing. It took him several minutes to realize it was a welcome party for him. They interviewed him. And he said, next thing you know, I'm in Benin, after finding out the results of this DNA test, being crowned as a prince was that easy. Interviewer said, the royal family preferred a festival for your homecoming and held banners and held parade because the prince had no experience with the princing. They also sent you to a so-called prince school. <laughs> and he wrote, uh, he responds, what may have added to the intensity of emotion was that it was my father's birthday. And the land on my father's birthday was just unbelievable. And I feel like my father's presence was with me. I could see him and feel him. Friends, what a, what a small illustration, right? Of when we come to Christ and discover what we are as the child of God, adopted as royalty in God's family. It's an amazing thing. I'm going to have Clint come and he's going to, or, or, or and Bonnie, and Colton, uh, whatever you guys are going to do, come on up here and uh, share their story. This is the most recent uh, here of the adoption story of members of our church. And I wish I could have Colton share his story. Maybe he'll be able to with Matthew what Tom did later on in his life. You guys share your story. Well, Bonnie's going to go first, but uh, yeah, it's a tough act to follow after <laughs> following the nags here. So, 
Bonnie's yeah. going to start it off, and I'll finish it up. Um, so, adoption had never really been something that we had to sit down and just talk about. It was just kind of making part of our conversation, making something we really thought, you know, maybe drop on the table. So when we finally decided to, 13 years or something really, um, we knew it was what God wanted us to do. Um, it was a very long road, but we ended up um, finding two agencies that we worked with. One uh, out in California that was an agency that would place us with a child, and then the other agency here in Maine that handled the home study and um, would be the final step of bringing the child back into the state if he could come out of the state. Um, that agency and Being referred to a play best adoption. Um, and as soon as I talked to them, I knew immediately it was the agency God, one of the agencies God wanted us to work with. Um, it was a, the whole process was um, very long and it was exciting and it was hard, but it was probably a month or two before. Um, we get the phone call about Fulton that I get an email from St. Andre's agency that we need you for all the paperwork and home study. And after, I don't know, 50, 60 years of being open, they were closing. And they were, I mean, both agencies were important, but they were the one that was going to make it possible for us to actually bring the child home. And without them, we couldn't have done it. So after panicking for a minute, I I called her, and she said our situation was unique because we hadn't been placed with a child yet. Um, they were going to do everything they could to try to work with us in the time that they had, but they would help us find another agency. Um, and I said to them, you know, I, we felt led to that agency, and we'd stay with it until they called us and made us feel more safe. Um, that was us taking a big chance because if we had waited till the and get close, we wouldn't be here today. So, but I felt like from the very beginning that is the agency God led us to. Um, and then on um, April 4th, I was on my way to Rockland, and I truly believe that God speaks to us sometimes to the point where it seems audible, very loud. And I was on my way to Rockland do groceries, and I very clearly hear God say, go take care of that. So, I argued, as I usually do. <laughs> and I said, that seems crazy. I have no one's going to go. So I hear it again. Your gospel is going to finish. So, but it doesn't make sense. They have nothing to donate. I know they just go take care of it. I heard it a third time, very clear. I finally told the to take the wheel. <laughs> I said, you go. You have to turn the wheel. So I go in and um, no offense to anybody who works with that, but I've never felt it feels like they're open. So I looked at that. It's going to be a little awkward to go up to the door and um, have either nobody there or. So I drove in and there was a car there that I could find the Lord's name. And I went inside and Ginny Rickard was sitting there. And I felt so much better to think, okay, so I know. And I said to her, um, I don't know 
why I'm here, but I'm really not. So she brought me in and showed me around and explained a little more to me and what they do. And I was sitting in her office and, and she asked, what are adoptions? And I said, you know, it's, we're just babies, you know, we got them. Um, with her offer, and I also said, you know, there are some frustrating times. I wondered why we hadn't adopted yet. It had been two years. And um, I was on way off and gave it back to God. You give it to God, you know, you can do I said, you know, when it happens, it happens. It's all in God's hands. And so I said that to Jane. So two minutes later, I get a phone call from St. Andre's, the agency that we were in Winslow Homestead. And they said that um, a baby had been born the night before, and that we were on the list of people to call. And first of all, we weren't on the list, or to the list, because at the very beginning, I had told them, if, unless you're going to refer us to the agency in California, um, not to contact us with us and then it talk with children because that just gets on their nerves. So it asked them to take us off the list. But that day we were on the list of people to call. Um, so that whole day we couldn't kind of refer, but we decided that we would go through with it even though it was starting all over again financially and everything was it was starting over again. Um, so that next day we Felt like we were um, a lot like them and the profile that we had. They were on point around here, so at first they weren't going to take us because they thought that could be kind of hard because we felt like we were the best fit for their child. Um, so we went to the hospital that day, and on the second day that I came into the room, it was another child. It was our child. I wondered how we could bond with a child. seven, eight ounces of milk, uh, <laughs> and of course, getting up in the middle of the night, feeding him, and I, uh, I remember several times uh, sitting there, feeding him, and being yeah. tired and everything, and uh, running through my mind saying, you know, these are moments, these are things that you look back on in your, because uh, people all the time tell me, you know, when they're growing up, it's all quick. I got to get them out of feeding. I got to get them out of diapers. I want to get them grown up, you know, so they can take care of themselves a little bit. And it's like, you know, these are the moments that uh, as he's growing, as he's doing these things, uh, to cherish them, even if you're tired and worn out and you don't really want to do it and all that stuff. So it's just time and time again, just being with him. And uh, like Bonnie was saying, 
um, we sometimes don't even think of him as an adopted child. We think of him as he's our child. He's always been our child. He's been our child since he was three days old, and he will be until uh, uh, God takes us home and takes him home. So um, we're still working with him uh, on the facts of uh, uh, we have books and things like that to try to teach him so he understands. So when he gets older, he understands the whole process. But uh, uh, we treat him just like he was ours. We give him hugs and kisses and bedtime stories and uh, he uh, calls us mom and dad and hugs us and loves us so um, it's been a treasure um, and I think that until that you know with scripture saying that we're adopted you don't 100% understand until you go through the adoption process and you have a child and start to realize how much you can love and how much God would love us 